0: Sharing, guys. Appreciate um, just being able to be open with each other. And I just want to acknowledge that what we shared is probably what we didn't really want to share. You know that there's a sin that we told someone about, and then there's probably the real sin that uh, we don't want to we don't want to put in front of each other. And that's okay. Um, that's okay. But man, sin's frustrating. And um it it sucks it sucks to feel caught in something that we just can't get ground on or get victory over and and it fills us with shame uh, it's something we hide it's something that we wish we could overcome and and it's difficult and um as I look at this story of Jesus taking on Satan right at at in the wilderness I feel like there's so much of what hes sh- Uh, how he battles Satan that we can take into our own battle and find victory in. And that's what Jesus does is he comes and he takes victory over sin, not for himself primarily, but for us to be a model of how we can fight Satan and, and face sin and also how we can take on his victory and live in his victory. And so that's what we're talking about today. So I hope that even as we go into this text, that there would be some hope of gaining more freedom this week than we had before over the sin and the evil in our lives. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Things that stand out to me is that Satan shows up. And if you look at Ezekiel and also Revelations, we have the history of Satan, right? He doesn't self create, God didn't create him evil, but he was actually one of the archangels. He was one of three of the leading angels in heaven. Um, And as he grew and as he was like one of the most splendorous beings, he became prideful and he wanted to be God. And so uh, God sent other angels to war against him. And he took a bunch of angels with him and was cast onto earth and became Satan and demon. So they are fallen angels. And it's kind of humbling to think about a history of other created beings preceding us, that we aren't necessarily the center of God's creation. We are. We have one of many histories and one of many stories. We are one of many creations. I think there's something really humbling about that. They live in a, um, they exist in our dimension, but in other, in another dimension as well. What we call the spiritual realm, right? And we exist in that dimension. We have a spirit but we're confined through our bodies to be unable to see in the spiritual dimension. And so in some ways, demons and angels and God live in a greater reality than we do because they're able to see our reality and how we exist in this physical realm, but they exist in a plane kind of Uh, Beyond us, so they they exist in our reality and in a plane greater than us. It's kind of like as we observe like a two dimensional surface, right? Um, Maybe the letter S in starlight is like, man, these people don't exist because they can't see three D. You know, he can only the letter S, if it had a personality, can only see two D. But I'm like, no, I actually live in a greater dimension than you because I can see your dimension and I can exist. Uh, in a dimension one one up than you, if you will. So that's the history of Satan, um, and as he comes and tempts Jesus, he doesn't come onto the scene very vividly or concretely. Often in history, he shows up in the Garden um, of Eden to Adam, and and then he shows up to this wilderness. With Jesus. And it's almost this repeat in history, this undoing of what Adam did. Adam had a perfect body. He wasn't suffering. Um, He had perfect relationship with God. He existed in a world with no evil. And yet Satan, in his conversation with Adam, got him to sin. And now we have Jesus, the second Adam, in a fallen world right? He grows up with genocide as a refugee. He lost his father early, and now he is physically depleted. He's the weakest he could be physically. And in this second wilderness or garden, we have Jesus gaining victory over Satan on our behalf. And when you think about Jesus's victory over sin, it's it's triumphant. And um, Hebrews talks about how Jesus was tempted in every way, but did not sin as we sinned. And so we think when we think about Jesus, he didn't live the sterile life, but he felt all of the temptations we felt, and he felt it to a greater extent. So any temptation you've been through, you could have confidence that Jesus walked through that as well to an even greater degree. I say it's a greater degree because he had victory over it. Whereas when we're tempted, at a certain point, we fold. And because of his victory of temptation, he felt the full extent of temptation. In my best weightlifting days, I was a gym rat, and all I did was bench. You know, I just go in and bench because I wanted to, like be able to bench a lot of weight. And um, I was able to do 300 pounds. It's like quite a bit of of weight, right? So the, uh, thank you. So the bar's a little bent. Um, I had to ask like non-Asians to help spot me, you know, (laughs) which made me really prideful, right? I was just like, I was just huge. And like when I am stacking on the weights, I'm pretty much like, hey guys, if, I, if there was Instagram and Snapchat, then I would just be Snapchatting me benching 300 pounds all day. Uh, it's like two plates and a 25. It's, it's very impressive. And um, oh, and then I was so like buff at the time. I was warming up on two plates, right? So everyone's warming up with like 25, 35 plates. I'm just stacking two plates. So I'm like, you know, like done. I can like toss it catch it wide, toss it again, catch it inside. I was just like really ripped, okay? Just imagine me really ripped. But if we, it's unverifiable because if I go to gym now, I'll be struggling with one plate. Um, has, can any of you guys, have any of you guys benched over 300 pounds? <laughs> has any of you guys benched over, have you benched over 300, Andy? Oh, Andy! And, uh, how much did you bench more than that? What's your max? Three fifteen. Okay, okay. Uh, other people have impressive max benches. Anyone? Okay, two ninety-five. Dang, I could see that, Mitchell. Could see that, Andy. All right. So, anyone have like a really low max? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so. Uh, Mitchell can bench 195, right? Right, 195? Okay, 195. Oh, not 295, 195. So uh, that's disappointing. Um, (laughs) So Mitchell understands what 195 pounds feels like, but 196, 197, 200, 220 all feel the same to him because he would collapse under that weight. Does that make sense? I understand what benching 300 feels like, but I don't actually know what 315 feels like because 305 and 315 feels the same because I would collapse under that weight. Now, when it comes to sin, we all collapse at a certain point. So we don't understand the full extent of sin's appeal or temptation because we give in at a certain point. When it says that Jesus has victory over sin, when he doesn't give in to Satan's temptations, when he lives a sinless life, we can kind of dismiss that. But what it's actually saying is that Jesus understood the full weight of sin and temptation because he doesn't collapse under it. And so however you've been tempted, he has felt that and beyond Now, what are his temptations? And uh, some are unique to him. So the first one, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And what what Satan does is he says, hey, turn these stones into bread. And that's not technically an ethical sin. There's no, like, Ten Commandments, like, don't turn stones into bread, right? Like, don't do that. Um, Oh, shoot. Uh, Okay. And we see him multiply food in his ministry. But why, this is, why Satan threw this out there is because he was physically uh, hungry, right? He was hungry. Makes sense. I, I fast for 16 hours and I'm dying. Um, and what Satan wanted him to do was to give up his humanity. Part of Jesus taking on human nature was to say, while he's on earth, he's not going to use his divine power, his God powers, okay? Okay. And everything he does on earth in the miraculous, he is leaning on the spirit to do. And he's setting an example for us that we need to be dependent on the spirit. And so him making bread, stone into bread would be him breaking away from his human nature. Once he does that, he's unable to empathize with our weakness. He can't be our high priest. And most importantly, he can't be our sacrifice. He can't be our atonement. So sometimes what Satan does is he doesn't cause us to sin in the moral sense or the ethical sense. He just tries to push us out of God's will. The second temptation is to jump off of a temple, right? Why is that appealing? Like, Does Jesus like roller coasters? Um, It's because a a large part of Jesus' ministry was to be the king of the Jews to be someone that the Jews follow, the Jewish Messiah. And a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees, a lot of these Jewish leaders aren't going to follow him. They're actually going to be his main opposers. But what happens as they're looking for a, a Messiah, a king, if you jump off of their like greatest building, the temple, all these people, all these Jewish leaders are gathered around the temple. And if, I, if he jumped off of the temple and all of a sudden the angels came, right, and lifted him up, it would be like, I think he's it. You know, like <laughs> that'd be a great way to introduce your your ministry. Like, hey, my pastor, angels catch him. Wanna see? You know, what if that was our outreach event as a church? He's gonna jump off of the Meridian onto the Fifty Seven Freeway, but before he lands, <laughs> angels are gonna catch him, right? A lot of people come to our church, and that was the same thinking that that Satan was offering Jesus. Like, jump off of the biggest church the biggest Jewish church, and all these people are going to follow you. Instead of having to live a life of opposition, you can gain following right now. Um, He misquotes scripture, and Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The last thing was pretty similar. Satan showed him all the kingdom of the the world, and Jesus had this um, destiny to be the king of the Jews, and then he was also to reconcile the earth to himself, that every tongue tribe, and nation is going to be at Jesus' throne worshiping him. But what's the road to that, that the Father and he was going to have set the course on? It was through Calvary. It was on the cross. And Satan's like, why would you do that? Why would you suffer for the crown? Why would you take the way of the cross when you can just bend a knee, Right? It's so much easier to bend a knee than to get a nail driven through your wrist. And so that's what he's offering Jesus. I'm, and he couldn't actually do this. I think s- Satan is self-delusioned enough to think that he owns the world. But, um, and so oftentimes he offers his self-delusion to us, and he does that to Jesus. Bow down and worship me. I'll give you the earth. And then Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Now, when we think about how Satan tempts us, Like, what is your greatest sin and temptation? Have any of you guys felt tempted to jump off of the temple in Jerusalem? Or has Satan showed you the splendors of the world and said, "If you just bow down? Right? So a lot of these things don't apply. Like, I can't turn stone into bread. I've never been tempted that way. I've never felt like, man, I'm really glad I resisted turning stone into bread today. Like, I've I've never felt that. But what I've seen in this text is these fundamental ways... In which Satan tempts Jesus is true of all of our temptations, that there are these root uh, and, uh, yeah, there's these roots that are all of our sins and temptations sprout out from. And sometimes when we just try to change a behavior, sometimes when we're just like, "God, I want to stop doing this one thing," even if we stop that one thing, we'll do something else, because our roots haven't changed. Does that make sense? So what is the root aspects of temptation that Satan uses for Jesus and for us all? I've, I found three of them, um, like a good sermon. I had two really good ones. I'm like, I need to find the third one because I'm a pastor. Make it alliterate. Okay, um, the first is, you know what's disappointing about this passage, by the way? It wasn't a Dragon Ball Z episode. Right? When you think about Jesus versus Satan, isn't that what you want? Don't you want like this beam of like l- like light and darkness shooting at each other, Zach? Don't you want that? And then like like um Jesus punches Satan so hard that he makes like this 4-mile crater in the ground and then Satan picks Jesus up and throws him and he goes into the atmosphere and then he comes back like Matrix 3, right? Like that kind of like hardcore fighting? What? I want that. I want that so bad. But what happens is that there's an even more profound battle. And really, at the end of the day, the battle with Jesus and with us is for truth. The battle for, with, uh, for Jesus and for us is in our minds and for what is true. And that doesn't sound like much, right? Like, oh, like, you know, like when we, okay, well, Halloween's coming up. And when I think about how Satan will attack us, especially during Halloween, it's like a demon, right? Crawling on the roof, like making, like, you know, like, isn't that, isn't, this is actually way more devastating. That if he can reorient truth and say, believe this instead, he doesn't, he can just put his hands, he, he's done, he's done for a day. Because whatever truth we believe Our emotions, how we feel is going to wrap around that. And then the rest of our lives will be oriented. Everything we do comes out of the truth we believe. All the good, all the evil, how we spend our time comes out of the truth that we believe. So all Satan has to do is get us to believe a lie. And that's what it says. Um, That's how Jesus describes Satan, that lying is his native tongue. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? His home language is lying. Um, Let me give you an example of this. There's this Facebook article. I really enjoyed reading it. It was this man who had, you know, he talked about his wife and his kids. They've been married for 20 plus years. He loves her. Their kids grown up. You know, they had great times together. And um, all of a sudden his company blows up and he becomes a millionaire. So he goes from making like, I don't know, 70, 80K to being like a multi millionaire, like 50, 100 million dollars, right? And all of a sudden, his friendship starts changing because they can't afford to, like, you know, fly around the world with him and they don't live where he lives anymore. So he makes all of these friends with a lot of really wealthy people and they go to parties together, they go on vacation. And he starts looking around and he's like, dude, all of my friends now. They, don't, they, have, they got a divorce and they've married like a super hot 20 year old. Like, they're like the girls that they're um, married to or dating now, they're just like models. They're just gorgeous. And slowly, he starts looking at his wife and he's like, she's not that pretty. She had a few kids, she's in her 50s, like me. And he starts to want a younger girl, right? A very normal truth a very normal thing that society sells us. And so he starts committing adultery, and he's sleeping with this girl who's super hot in her 20s, and um, he, of course, that gets him to detach emotionally from his wife. And they become further and par- further apart. They have more and more fights. She can't make him happy. She doesn't know why. And then um, all of a sudden, this new girlfriend sits down with him and her mom, and says if you don't says okay, I'm gonna say goodbye to my wife. I'm gonna walk away from my kids, and he starts dating her, and he's, and they get married, and they go on vacation, and she, and he's really happy for a while. All the guys look at him and they're like, dude, he's made it. Look at how hot his girl is. They had wild sex, you know. They went all around the world, but then he said slowly, like she, he just realized he married. This person who wanted him for his money. Well, that was a surprise. And then um, she wanted such an extravagant lifestyle that she just started depleting all of his wealth, even though he had millions of dollars. And then he realized she started cheating on him because he started getting STDs. And then he couldn't go back to his wife or kids, even though she tried her best not to demean him. She had a civil relationship. But he just like longed to be back with this woman who cared about his soul, with his best friend, with the mother of his kids. But he's, he says, like, I'm imprisoned, like this girl has imprisoned me. And all you need is one lie. Satan doesn't have to do much. He just has to make you believe in something that isn't true. And every time we sin, including myself, I've believed something that is not true. I've believed a lie. At the end of the day, we, all of our sins isn't, is, is part of who we are. And the gift of sin is that it shows us what lies we've believed. So if you don't treat sin like that, if you think it's incidental, incidental or circumstantial, or kind of outside of your character, like it was just a bad season, you are not receiving the one gift sin has for you, which is you've believed something false. So what do you believe that is not God's truth? And what actions and feelings conflict with God's truth? What sins have you done? What feelings have you felt that you know is not, the truth of God, and how does that point to what you really believe? When we are tested, it shows us what we really believe. Because it's so easy to give the Christian answer, right? It's so easy to be like, oh, I know scripture, it says this. And because <laughs> just because you know something doesn't mean you believe it. Because if you believed it, your actions. Show what you believe. So, when, so what are, when you think about the sins and struggles in your life, what are the lies that you've held on to? Um, what is a truth that God wants you to fight that lie with? And that's really what, um, what we... <laughs> this is from Zelda. You can upgrade your sword... So you start with, like, a little crappy, like, wooden sword. And then, like, if you pay some guy gold, I think. I never played Zelda. And then you get to upgrade. This is for Jubilee. I did this whole Jubilee. You get, huh? Yeah? It's good? Yeah, she has a YouTube. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um... So uh, Ephesians 6:17 says, take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Sometimes we think we have because we have access some, to something, like the Bible, we all have the Bible app, we can all keyword search stuff that we believe it. Just because you have access to it doesn't mean you believe it. Just because you have the Bible doesn't mean you know the Bible. And just because you know the Bible doesn't mean you actually believe it. So what parts of scripture is yours? Where Satan lies to you, where media lies to you, where marketing lies to you, right? And, and, and it says that, hey, your value is base, based on how beautiful you are. Your value is based on how much money is in your bank account. Your value is based on how many followers you have on Instagram. Your value, who you are, is based on how many people think you're awesome, what, what are the lies that come your way that you're like, no, I actually believe this. I believe it with all my heart, and that doesn't even faze me. That's what your sword is. And I think some people can know by the Bible and have that first sword that's only brown and made of like, not, you know, it's not very strong. What's the hit points on that, Jube? Oh, come on. So when Satan attacks us, it's in our minds. And I hope that we recognize that. And he set up, when it talks about the world, it's basically saying like, sorry, I'm distracting you with this next PowerPoint. Um, It's basically saying there's some structures and systems that is convincing you of his lies, right? Like every commercial I watch, every TV show I watch, every time someone posts on Facebook, they're selling a truth. Have you, do, you, do you see that? Like every movie is selling you a truth. And, and some of those movies and music and TV shows are selling you lies from Satan. And I wonder if that's even like registering, right? And remember, once you buy into the lie, it dictates the rest of your life. Okay, the second temptation or like root, fundamental level in which, in which all of Satan's temptations are derived from, is Amazon Prime and Netflix from Satan. Okay, so what I mean by that is there's a sense of like instant gratification that Satan gives Jesus. Instead of going to the cross for the crown, I'll just hand you the crown. Instead of making disciples, jump off of a building and get the crowd. Right? Instead of fasting and finishing your fast, have bread right away. And we are in a generation of instant gratification. I mean, that's like one of our highest values. Amazon Prime seems slow now. I want same day. You know, I want within the hour. And Amazon knows that, so they're going to do it. They're going to go for one hour shipping. They're going to have a drone give birth to the drone that you ordered, right? That's what I want. That's my life. I want to order a drone and have another drone give birth to it on my doorstep within an hour. Um, when I watch TV, I've only watched live television like four times in the last two years and there's commercials and I forgot commercials are evil. You know, I, why, why would anyone wait to see the next scene? I don't even want to wait to see the next season. I get upset when I can't go from, in my binge, from one season to another. You know, I'm like, they, they're lazy. They're not producing new content. <laughs> this, like... Faster. I want it faster. I want it now. And um, that's like, I think when, if I think of any way that Satan is going to mess us up, it's taking that core value and say, I got faster. I got now. Whatever you want, just let me tweak your ethics. Let me tweak your focus on God. Let Let me give it to you. I will give you what you want right now. And that's what Satan's offers to Jesus over and over again. And we don't know how to wait. We've, we've forgotten that skill. But waiting produces character. Waiting produces puts our eyes on God instead of the product. Waiting, waiting does all kinds of things for our soul. Um, you know, I think the... I think why we, whatever it is that he's trying to undercut to give to us, and, and it's tempting, basically it says that that's the thing that we really want most. That's the thing that we trust most. That's what life is really about. Because the one thing that Satan can't give us right now, the only thing maybe, is a relationship with God, is loving God more. And if our life is oriented around anything else but loving God more, He has a way in, right? So if if at the center of that circle is like, I want happiness, I want I want a girlfriend, I want to advance my career, and God is one of those smaller circles trying to serve that objective. Satan's like, oh, like, hey, don't that's I I'll give it to you better than God, I'll give it to you faster than God, and he probably. A lot of times, that's what sin is. Things outside of God's timing, outside of God's way. You know, uh, my parents grew up Buddhist, and my mom was saying how like, they have these statues that you worship, and a, a lot of religions are like that. You worship a statue for a certain outcome, right? So like, if you want health, you get this uh, idol, and you worship it, and then you're supposed to be healthy. And you get this other idol for wealth. And you get this other idol for, like, you know, the afterlife. And if the idol isn't working anymore, you, get, you, you can get angry. You start yelling at the idol, right? You take it, you throw it away, you buy a better idol more, that's made of more gold. And, um, and you stop feeding it fruit, you know? And because the idol is to serve your greater ambition, your greater goal, your, your greater source of happiness. And, you know, so many Christians can treat God like that right? So much, so much of how we do Christianity can be about something else we want. And we get angry at God. And we shake our fists at God. And we do something else that gives us what we really want. The only way Satan can't deter us is if what we really want is God. If that's what we really want, and so when I think about my sin, I think, man, maybe I don't really want God here, right? Or I don't trust him. Um, I think maybe one of the hardest parts of me growing up and trusting God was with, with, was with waiting uh, for my wife when it comes to sex, right? So I went through college, my young adulthood, I didn't get married till I was 30. And I'm like, man, that's a long time to wait. And I remember talking to these high schoolers and even junior hires that were like, oh yeah, we've had sex. And I'm like, what's it like? You know? <laughs> and like <laughs> I didn't I didn't know. And it didn't feel like it was it was worth waiting for. Like all of society was telling me like, dude, just do it. Like it's so awesome. And I'm like, man. If I'm going to trust God with all these other areas of my life, I should trust Him here too. And and so I waited, and you know, had opportunities, and I said no, and it was really hard. And then, like, before I got married, I regretted it. <laughs> I would think back and be like, I should have said yes to her. I should have said yes to her. I should have said yes this time. And then all of a sudden, I got married, and I was like, wow, it makes sense. It just makes sense. Um, maybe just one thing is like, um, dude, like, I, I've, you know, like, with other girls, I've been close friends with, I've done ministry with, I have flirted with, you know, like, I've shared adventures with, and Nina has, me and Nina have this one thing that just kind of separates me from all other women, and it's tangible, and it's real. And, I think also, just like as I'm with her, I'm not thinking of other women. I'm not comparing her to other women. And there's this freedom that comes from how we connect um, that is unique. I, I think I get to be vulnerable with her in, in this way, you know? And so, if you have fallen into, into sex before marriage, God redeems you, God forgives you. But also, like, do we trust him at the end of the day? Or have we bought into a lie? And do we want to undercut it? Because that's what Satan can give us, right? Satan can say, hey, like, I'll give that to you now. It's, it's right in front of you. The last point I have is um, Satan challenges Jesus' identity three times. He says, if you are the son of God, then, right? Then turn these stones into bread, then jump off of the roof, then uh, uh, bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. And what he's saying is that being the son of, the, of God should lead to other things. It should be a means to an end for you to be powerful, for you to be the king of the Jews, for you to rule the nations. And right before this incident, this temptation, we have Jesus in the will, uh, being baptized, where God says, you are my beloved son, whom I love. He is my beloved son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And right after that, Satan challenges his identity three times. And I think, kind of going back to the last point, like, is being God's child enough for you? Is that is that good enough? Or is it really so that you could get something else? And the wilderness experience is for us is a testing of, is being God's child enough? And I wonder, you know, if it is, if being in relationship with God, if that's the focal point, if that's enough, then Satan has nothing on us. But if we want all these other things too, then he can take that and use it um, to tempt us with. And, and there's, there's so many times where the thing we want to offer God the most becomes our idol, right? Like God makes all these promises to Abraham, gives him a son. And then that's the very thing that can become his idol. That's the very thing that God is asking for him to sacrifice. And I can, come, I can become like that. I could be like, God, I'm your son. I should get this. I shouldn't be sick. I shouldn't have cancer. My family should be well provided for. And he's like, is you being a son enough? When Jesus takes victory over sin, he doesn't just do it for himself, but he does it for us. That we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have, been, we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what part of Jesus' victory do you need in your fight against temptation? Is there a centering of you being his child and finding that to be enough? Is there a sense of you saying, hey, God, help me to not go after instant gratification, but to orient my life around you? And what is the truth that you need from the Lord to fight the lie that is um, allowing you to sin, you know, that you've bought into? So I'd love for us to just kind of go through this a little bit. And as we think about our specific temptation and sin, I wonder, yeah, how we can be encouraged by Jesus's victory and how we can pray for each other. So let's just spend five minutes um, kind of sharing a little bit and praying for each other, if that's okay. I'll start us off. Father, thank you so much for living a sinless life and for fighting sin on our behalf and showing us how to do it, Lord. I pray that You would allow us to think deeper about the places of temptation, sin, and idolatry in our lives. Some of it's really obvious. It's ways that we've hurt people or scarred our own soul. But some of it can be really subversive. It could be putting our family at the center instead of you, putting our happiness or our career at the center instead of you. I pray, Lord, that you would show us... um, Yeah, the root of our sin, so that we can find more victory in you this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you guys just spend five minutes talking to the same people and uh, praying for you?